I even did research, people. I have thoughts. Yay. That's never good. It's so sad. <laughs> How does that fit with this pod? Are you on the same topic we are? That's my sarcasm font there. There we go. Like- the company's Namely? Manly, Namel, Namely. Help me. Namel. Namel? M-A-M-L-E. Mamely. No, that's not right. Maybe it's fake news. Namely is fake. It's the Nam... I'm, I'm not even going to talk. <laughs> Can you edit out all this stuff where I sounded dumb? Nope. Please. <laughs> That's not what Please. I am. Happy day and welcome to another potentially useful episode of the EdTech Loop podcast. My name is Larry Burden and she's accepted all the internet cookies in hopes that they might somehow be related to Thin Mints. It's Danielle Brostrom, and I've applied all the bleach and hand sanitizer, but can't seem to remove her from the studio at this point. It's Steffi Line. <laughs> <laughs> She's been around a lot recently. It's been nice. After consulting the fact checkers, we've deemed that this week's moment of zen to be fair and balanced. It is useless to attempt to reason a man out of a thing he was never reasoned into. You know what? I had a whole meat of the show thing in here, and it's gone because I did it at the dentist's office. So we're just going to go jump right into this. It was really good. I spent a lot of time on it. So we're gathered here today to discuss media literacy, how to sift through the news in an appropriate and um, useful way. Uh, Were both of you at the, our our district libraries, um, Steffi, you were at um, our district libraries uh, presentation on um, navigating Yes. Yeah. It was called civil misinformation. So mm-hmm. navigating what's out there. How did that go? What What did you learn? Yeah, it was very interesting. It was put on by Tattle and NMC. So um, a nice partnership with two libraries. And, um, you know, they did a great job of presenting some of the things that happened, you know, Cambridge Analytica, Analytica case and some other examples just to give like the broad context to all the ways that data is being used and manipulated and then presented and gave some really good tips that we can talk about and some others that are related to K-12 as well um, on some things that we can do as consumers of information. Maybe let's start with the students. I mean, I think one of the big takeaways from the discussion last night was the need for media literacy education at all levels, so adults down to pre-K. The The landscape is changing so quickly, and the news sources aren't just, you can take them at face value anymore. The world has gotten away from pure journalistic news sites that are, you know, going through all the standards that journalists um, are held to and going through fact-checking. And when it's out on the internet, that those things are not always happening. And Danielle and I were talking earlier about the numbers of people that get their news through social media and really what that looks like. Those are headlines and those are Um, being shared and thrown out. And so your friend shares a story and you believe your friend. So that must be true. And, you know, how all of that creates the bubble of news and you're not getting out of that bubble until you're really starting to analyze the news that you're looking at. Who sent it? What's the motivation? Why is this news story out there? Who's paying for it? Is there any collaboration of the facts? Can you make sure that this information is not being reported only on this random site, but is it somewhere else as well? 
And it's just such a shift from the days where broadcast news or the newspaper was the source for everyone. And really, it's interesting to think about how those standards have changed in terms of what's put out there. And it's so important for our kids to be able to do that sort of evaluation. And I think it's good to reiterate, and you said this, it's not just the kids. You know, it used to be that the kids would come in with some crazy story in the classroom and you would, you know, fact check it. You would go through and you would talk about it. But it's not just the kids that are coming in with the crazy stories anymore. It's it's a lot of times the adults and that everyone needs us because it is such a new a new thing with, with the deep fake videos and the um, the images that can be altered. There's a lot of learning we all need to do. Recognizing credible sources, because there are credible sources, there are news organizations that do do their due diligence. When we get our news from aggregators, I was thinking about this, and I think that's really where we we can fall into some traps. General news services do have processes that they go through. Typically, they do have some biases, and there are some areas or some um, sites that do kind of track a bias of a news source. And we'll share those links in the show notes. Uh, one that I came across was the Ad Fontes Media Bias Chart, which is really well-researched and gives you a general idea of where, um, generally where the bias falls for different media outlets, but also how accurate they are in their reporting. So you can kind of generally understand where you're getting your information from. The trick is, if you're getting your information from an aggregator, from an aggregated news source, such as Google News, such as social media, you're inevitably going to face feed bias based upon what you're clicking on. And that's, I think, the piece of information that people don't understand, that if you're in that environment, it's not designed to inform you. News aggregator is not designed to inform, it's designed to hold attention. So the more things that you click on, the more data you're giving the aggregators to give you things that you would like to see. Mm -hmm. So it basically creates its own bubble. My suggestion, you know, because I think we, we like to focus on, okay, so what, what do I do about that? My suggestion would be to go find three or four sites, maybe, you know, consult the bias chart or a bias chart, find three or four sites specifically and go to those sites because you're going to naturally take the aggregators out of the equation because you're going to the sources themselves and you'll be able to see everything that they're reporting on and have an understanding of the bias that that site might generally have. Well, and they gave an interesting example last night about looking, doing a Google search for a news topic and then using um, a search engine like DuckDuckGo that does not track, so isn't keeping track of where you've been, like the same idea of incognito mode, but looking at how the, the results would be different between a Google search that's in your account that is going to play into that bubble idea versus an untracked site, what's going to come up. And it's going to open up a, a whole different look instead of what you usually go to or what you've been looking at, or you might be interested in this because you've looked at X, Y, or Z. And do you know what I was thinking, Larry, when you first started talking about the aggregators, I was thinking, I don't use aggregators. Who uses aggregators anymore? I, I go to my Apple News app. Oh, mm -hmm. wait. <laughs> and and, and the, it made that connection for me. Like, you're exactly right. The things that I'm seeing are all based on my beliefs and reinforce my beliefs. It's very rare that I see something that 
doesn't. Do you know what I mean? Within that aggregator. So we do need to be conscious as, as a society to go to those sites that are more in the middle. I was thinking about this because I don't think social media or even new news aggregators are bad, but they serve a different purpose than what we think they could be serving. For instance, I think social media is useful when creating a professional or interest-based community. So if you have a specific interest and you want to research that interest, it's great. In fact, it's really useful because it, it can center around that interest and really give you a deep dive into it. But it is very awful for balanced discourse. Mm -hmm. It is precisely engineered to not give you balanced discourse. So if you're looking for it, if you're looking to have a discussion that is well-researched and well-documented, it is not the place to go to mm. at all because it's going to naturally send you in a biased direction. Right. Um, and to understand how that works and how deeply it is ingrained in how we interact with the internet is really important. I had, I had shared... Um, I think I had retweeted it because I thought it was super interesting uh, thread. And again, this is a way that social media is useful by um, Chris uh, Yui on how ad tracking works, even if you're in incognito mode. But I think it's also useful when thinking about news in general and how I literally wanted to read the whole thread, but it's about a five minute read to un really under he goes through specifically how how every click is is tracked and how the aggregation works. It's not as clear as we think it is um, as far as like somebody going, oh, I clicked on this, so that'll mean this. It's I clicked on this or I'm a friend of this person and this person and this person. They relatively make up a certain segment of the population. So by guessing kind of aggregating what they're looking at, they're going to direct it to me. And then they kind of work, it can work on that level. So it's not necessarily even what you're doing. It's what the people that you are associated with right. are doing. So he, he described it as uh, fingerprints, where your fingerprints are in the network. And I don't think we understand that that's how deep it goes. So even if we're trying to not be tracked, we're probably being tracked that strengthens that bubble more and more because you're just, that whole group that you're interacting with is being fed the same information. And you trust, I mean, largely you probably do trust your friends. So they're using those relationships to strengthen the information because it seems more legitimate coming from a friend. So it's that's just another reason we all have to be so cognizant of what we're sharing and making sure that it is accurate information to the best that we can because it's impacting the feeds of your friends too. So what other practical tips do we have to offer to teachers who are trying to teach this to kids or to adults who are trying to figure this out on our own? I know you talked about um, the similar websites. Can you have that discussion with me again? How you said that there are sources that are buying up not legitimate news sources and making oh, them Oh, yes. Work. That was really interesting. They mentioned last night there are some journalists doing some investigation into some organization and they don't know yet what it is, but there's money behind purchasing websites that have uh, titles that are close to legitimate news sources. So instead of the Lansing State Journal, it's the Lansing State Record or something that sounds very similar. And it's the, the thought is that it's being done in anticipation of the election so that they will have these 
sites established and can put out misinformation that people will believe is coming from a source that they do trust. But actually, it's going to be something totally different than that. So it's just very um, targeted deception that way. So a tip would be to definitely pay attention to that domain and URL. Absolutely. And make sure that it is, like, make sure you're on the site that you think you're on. I think, too, um, looking at the quotes in the story is really important and kind of just seeing the, the bias involved. Um, we were doing some work this morning with Factitious. It's a really fun game, actually. It's um, um, well, the you swipe <laughs> right. What is that thing called where people look for dates? Tinder? Tinder. Tinder. Yes. Okay, thank you. It's like it's like Tinder. Um, but it's for news stories. And you can start at the easy level. And it's a swipe right if you think the article is real. Swipe left if you think the article is fake. And then they give you an article that was an actual article. And it tells you where it was from and the source. And sometimes you can tell by the words that they use. Like the first sentence of this one, Alabama is the first country to enact insane bathroom laws. That right there should tip you off <laughs> that there there is some bias in that article. Um, but in this factitious game, you swipe whichever way you think it is. And then it tells you, yes, that was correct. Or no, that was not correct. And here's why. And um, I like that it's it turns it into a game, but it really is trying to educate you on what to look for when you are reading these articles. It presents lots of different things you can look at because the the photo in one of the ones that oh, I yeah. looked at was clearly, well, not clearly. I mean, it was, if you really examine it, you could tell it was doctored, but, you know, not just the headline, but is the lead or the byline or the date or any of the things that you'd be looking for in a story and, you know, who's mentioned in the story, who's not mentioned, what kind of angle is it opinion-based in terms of the way it's crafted. It's also fun. I thought it was fun to <laughs> fun to play. Um, and speaking of the photos, um, you know, there's the option in Google to do a reverse photo search so you can see how a photo was doctored at some point along the way. And that's that's helpful because, as Danielle mentioned, I mean, the, the technology to make things look real that aren't is getting to be impossibly hard to discern. I am a moderate Photoshop user, and I, I can tell you that I could make anything look like anything else. That's Any real photo that you gave me, I could turn into virtually anything that I would kind of desire to. And I'm not even expert level. So if you're looking at the the photo as the real thing, that would be the wrong place to look at. You have to look a little bit deeper into sources to really be able to trust it, you know, find trusted sources. Have you used the reverse photo search to do I that? I have not. I've heard it. Yeah. I've heard about it, but I have not not used it. And I think that's that would be an important piece of the puzzle. I thought that was very interesting. So I'm curious if, it, if the photo's never been published online and just the doctored photo comes out. My you're probably not you're be, catching yeah, that, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but at least a tool for some options mm -hmm. for some photos. I know that we've mentioned many times on the pod, but Common Sense Media has a number of really good um, short educator-created videos that can help just give students some of the language when they're discussing media literacy and some essential questions to be analyzing. Um, they do, of course, such a good job with everything. And again, there's a wealth of information on common sense around media literacy in particular. It is Media Mentor Month. Hashtag Media Mentor Month on Common Sense Media. They have a, a poster that's available, which you know we should probably take a good look at. And I'll definitely leave a link in the show notes that gives... Um, teachers a daily 
task for the students to help you know, look at media and give them an idea. So hashtag media mentor month. And I'm sure the posters out there, it was all over uh, Twitter today. So when I looked up Digsit. I also have to mention too, Remsey did an amazing job recently. They have their media literacy implementation toolkit. And this toolkit is available free online. Just search for Remsey media literacy toolkit. There are a ton of resources on here from News Literacy Project, Critical Media Project, Newseum, PBS Learning Media, Common Sense Media, things from Google, things from YouTube, iCivics. There's more resources than you could use ever in a, in a year, but it's there's a lot of really good stuff on here. So I think that needs to be a definite go-to for teachers as they're trying to implement this stuff in the classroom. There are so many uh, educational resources out there groups like, and you mentioned museum, but they are doing some amazing work and have some amazing resources for teachers that really focused all around um, media literacy and fighting disinformation, because it really is, it is something that it happens on an individual basis. Like we all need to be aware of what to do. Don't you feel like the librarians are kind of your superheroes in this whole misinformation fight? They play a really key role. Absolutely. It's not just giving people the information or helping people access the information anymore because there's so much information. It's how to, how to filter and use and evaluate and, and be media literate with it, really. We use the word curate a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a time where we really looked at letting the internet do the curation. I think we've realized that maybe that isn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some sense that that isn't working very well. And we need to, we need to be a little more um, diligent and mindful on doing our own curation to make sure that the information that we're getting is not being co-opted by outside influences. And I, it, it sounds very black mirror-y. And I really don't think, I mean, there is that. I mean, there is a lot of the doctored photos and things like that. To be honest, I'm less worried about that. I think that's sometimes easier to spot than the general bias that happens from our seemingly innocuous activities on the net. Things that we think aren't really affecting what we're seeing, but are. And I think we have to be aware of that. Just harmless tasks that we do online that do affect what is happening and what we're seeing in front of us. Because I really don't think we understand, or I don't think the general populace understands that what they're seeing has a bias. And I think the discussion to point out when something isn't accurate, but I think what's so concerning is when people are in their own bubble that you try to point something out and that isn't going to be something that they believe because that is not the information they're being bombarded with. So if if there's no agreement on what's true, then that's a scary place. Neil deGrasse Tyson had an interesting quote. He was commenting on the fact that most things with a little bit of research can be disproven. However, people are more willing to seek reassurance than research. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, yeah. where, that's where we're getting. I thought that was a very telling situation and how we've gotten to where we have. And we're much more likely to be reassured by the people that we know and agree with than actually what the research says. And if you want it to be true and you already believe it to be true, then it's really hard when, you know, someone tries to say, hey, that might not be accurate and just, how to have those discussions. I just think we need to reiterate that teachers and librarians are key in this. Teachers need to be throwing up articles 
on their projector and talking about them with their class and looking at the bias and looking at the stats that are involved and fact checking everything and just going through that process with kids as often as possible because the more practice they have with taking this, okay, get out your devices, let's see, is this accurate? Does this work? What what do you notice here? The more we can have those discussions with kids, the more it will become natural that kids will be doing it on their own. And going back to Common Sense Media, I think one of the great things that they do, because we can go, we can do as deep of a dive as we can on this topic. And at some point in time, very quickly, it's not developmentally appropriate, the conversation that we'd be having, having four students Common Sense Media does a good job of chunking it out in a way that's appropriate for different age groups. You know, they have a they have a curriculum set up mm-hmm. for the different age groups so that you're not getting quickly above the heads of a fifth grader. Anything else? I just think that we should share um, the civic misinformation, the librarian-led discussion at Tattle last night. All of their resources are online. Um, those slides are available at bit.ly slash civic misinfo. We are going to have a ton of links on the show notes because there's so much information. We can't talk about it all, um, but there are some great resources out there that we'd want to share. All right. Tech Tool of the Week. Tech Tool of the Week. I would like to talk about KQED Learn. So this is a site that I found through um, Digit Commit. And what I love about it is that Under the discussions tab, they bring you a new topic every week, every other week, sorry, to discuss with students inside your classroom and from schools around the country. So they're actual topics, things like, are violent video games causing gun violence in America? Should we raise the federal minimum wage? Are teachers or should teachers be armed at schools? These are big topics that you could use with secondary students mostly, but some of them you could use with even upper L. But what I love about this is that it would lead to okay, let's go out and see what the news sites are saying. And then you're gathering those different news articles and you're able to look at the bias and you're able to, again, put some of these articles up on the big screen to talk about with kids. So I like that when when you're doing research around a topic, I know as a teacher, sometimes I struggle like, okay, what I know that we should be looking at what the news sites are saying about the coronavirus. But after that, I'm kind of at a loss. So I just, I like that this gives us kind of a starting place. Um, and it's a good resource for teachers. So to start those discussions and then do the research behind it. Right. I just want to point out, we, we've had a ton of podcasts recently. I had a great one with Steffi last week. Um, so a Bibliotech podcast went out last week. We have another one with the technologist coming later this week. Uh, just we had the esports guys on last great. week as well, which was great. So uh, I demand answers. So the question of the of the week is: uh, What's your fake news strategy? How do you how do you as a teacher, as an educator, as an adult, send, send it to us again? Um, hashtag at TechLoop, and uh, we'd love to see your answers. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPSLoop. At Brostrom DA. At Steffi Light. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. Thanks for listening and inspiring. National Association for Media Literacy Education. Boom!